recognizing who Jesus is and who we are and acting in that. So that's really great. Uh, let me jump in and let me pray. I realize I didn't do that. And like, shame. No, no, not shame on me. We don't just talking about that. See? You still, still see right there. It's so easy to say it. It's so easy to say it, right? So easy to say it. So let me pray. Jesus, you are good. Um, God, you are our cornerstone. You are our savior. And God, you are the one that says we no longer need to be ashamed because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So God, we just submit this time to you. I just submit my words to you, my stories, every single point, and just say, God, even if I cannot communicating what you want to say, may you have your listeners, your people hear what you want to say. So Jesus, we ask that our hearts will be opened, um, our hearts and our minds and our souls will be open to what you will want to say to us today, and that we will leave changed and transformed because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, all this uh, talk about identity reminds me of um, one of my greatest goals in life, to become Xena the warrior princess. Right? See, I was like, I'm not sure if people know who Xena is. But Philae and I were talking about it earlier, so yeah, there you go. Xena, does anyone know Xena? Yes! I mean, she was amazing, right? She kicked butt. Let's just say that, right? Um, For those who don't know, definitely go type it in on YouTube later. Um, But Xena was basically kind of one of the first American fantasy television series filmed in New Zealand because all great movies and stuff were filmed in New Zealand, like Lord of the Rings. Um, It aired in 1995 to about 2001. And she was basically this infamous warrior on a quest to seek redemption for her past sins against the innocent by using her fighting skills to now help those who couldn't defend themselves. Um, She was accompanied by Gabrielle, um, who was this simple farm girl who then becomes this amazing Amazon warrior helping Xena. It was staged in ancient Greece, and it was just just amazing. But what I loved about her, I think I was about 9 or 10, is just her ability to be fearless and courageous and kick but I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but kick butt. Like, she just was awesome, and she just, like, she got a few licks here and there. Uh, you know, I was preparing for this, and I'm like, let me watch, and I, the whole five minutes of this particular thing, she was getting beaten down. I'm like, is this the Xena I remembered? Like, it's just like, you're not winning, but she got back up, right? Uh, and, you know, and what's fascinating about this obsession with being Xena, the warrior princess, is that within the last three years, I have publicly shared, uh, this is three times now, that I wanted to be here. And it's kind of like embarrassing to say, you're like, I want to be a warrior princess. But, um, but I remember two, the, the first two times that I said it, the responses I got back were very surprising. Because in both times, in one way or the other, each person said, you already are. You see, the first time was with one of my best friends um, and who literally, we look just alike. People think we're cousins. We think we're friends. And they think I'm her mom. I'm like, I'm three years older than her. That's not possible. Uh, But, you know, we just, we have that sort of relationship. We're just really alike. And we've actually both struggled a lot with a lot of the same things in regards to identity and Jesus. So um, I, her words mean a lot to me. So I remember posting on Instagram after this uh, party we went to, where you had like mask and stuff. And it was just like a mask that reminded me of Zena. And I remember like telling her, I said, I want to, or on Instagram, saying, I want to be Xena the Warrior Princess. And she just said, you already are. You're already a fighter. You're already courageous. You're already fearless. And you're already fighting for someone else's freedom in the work that you do. And I just was like, whoa, what? And then the second time, it was with a, I, I don't know why I say this, but a group of people I don't know, 
this is the third time, I guess, some people I don't know, some people I do know, and we were in this wellness conference, a bunch of us for um, essential oils, and we were just going around sharing something about our life, and I said it there, too. I'm like, I want to be Zena the Warrior Princess, and, um, you know, some people didn't know what to say then, but that's okay, and um, some of you are like, should she be our leader? I don't know, <laughs> but... You know, there was one guy I just met. He was a chiropractor, and most people on the teams, it's kind of um, essential oils team. um, Actually, most of this team were Christians, and he was taking me back to the airport because I left really early, and him and I were talking, and he's just one of those people, you know, when you talk to some people, they just start speaking, you're like, I just need to listen to you. I don't even know, like, there's just an authority and relationship and intimacy with Jesus that they carry that you just got to listen. So he was just telling me his story. I was telling him mine. And then he just started to speak a word of affirmation over me, of encouragement, of identity. And he said, he's like, you don't need to worry about being Zena. He's like, you already are. You're like, you, you know, I was telling him, I'm about to go do this managing director role. He's like, you don't even worry. God is calling you. God's equipped you. You're perfect for this. And I just think what's interesting about both of those interactions was that I believe Jesus was speaking to me in a word of encouragement, but a word of conviction and a word of challenge. You see, I, in both of these interactions, I was shocked that someone saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, that I didn't, that I, even though I wanted to see in myself, I actually didn't truly believe I would ever see that. I, I didn't believe I would ever be that. Because actually for me, I've chosen way too often in my life to walk in a false identity, to carry a false ID in my pocket and walk around trying to use it. An identity that says, I will always be rejected, that I'm not enough, I don't do enough, that I'll be picked last, that I'll fail, I won't make people's, meet people's expectations or even God's expectations for me. I'll always fall short. And even though God has broken through in many ways in this area for me, that I'm different than who I was 10, 15 years ago, I still struggle with it and I still bust out that false ID sometimes versus my real ID. And in those moments that I choose to walk in the false identity instead of the true identity Jesus has given me, I just keep striving for something that actually I already am. I already, I don't need to work to be chosen. I don't need to work to be one of God's priests. I don't need to work for that. But when I choose to believe these lies and these expectations that are not from God, I feel like I have to. And it's like God's identity for me is just like, that's great. That sounds awesome. Maybe one day that will be true. But by doing that, I choose to never experience the joy of knowing knowing that I am chosen and I am a daughter of the Most High God. And as I share in this passage, I choose to not offer God the praise he deserves. I choose to not build his spiritual house here on earth and proclaim the glory of the one who brought me out of darkness into marvelous light. And if we're all honest, we all do this. From time to time, we all at different points in our life have chosen to believe lies, half-truths, and have chosen to walk around with false ideas in our wallet. And I believe if I were to go around to each of you and say, hey, sit down with me, just what, what comes out to you? Like, do you believe these words to be true? All of these words to be true about yourself? You might say, surely, not me. No, no way. Uh, God is speaking to someone else. God's speaking to her or to him. He doesn't really know what I've done. Or people don't know what I've done. They don't really know who I am, what I think about, what I've thought about doing. And how, so how, do I, how can I believe this? Like maybe one day, maybe one day. Well, you know, if we choose 
to leave this room today and choose not to believe these truths about our identity, I believe we will intentionally be denying the finished work of Jesus on the cross and denying all its power. The finished work of Jesus that, who came down from heaven as a human to show us how to truly love God and love one another. The finished work of Jesus then being rejected by his very own and the ones he came for so that we could receive mercy and forgiveness we did not deserve. The finished work of Jesus bleeding, beaten, and dying to save you and me so that we too can become living stones. The finished work of Jesus rising from the grave to give us a life, to give us life and call us into a royal holy priesthood to declare his glory and testify about the one who brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. And the finished work of Jesus that upon his ascension to heaven chose to make us priests of this new temple, a temple not built by human hands, a temple not for ourselves, but for the glory of God, where we could all, not just the purest or the sinless or the Jew or the Gentile or male or female or one ethnicity or the other, where all of us could offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Friends, to deny the work of the cross and its power is to disown the identity Christ died to give us as individuals, as the underground, church here in Tampa, the church in America, the church around the global world and for the people that we do mission with every day. Because if we can't believe this for ourselves, how, do we, how can we dare go tell them to believe it? And you know, Peter is, you know, Peter's writing this, and if you guys remember Peter, Peter's very aware with disowning his identity in Christ and denying Jesus. He did it three times, at least three times. Luke 22 talks about when Jesus was betrayed and rejected by one of his very, very own. He's taken to the high priest in the house, and Peter follows at a distance. Peter is then asked three times if he's with Jesus, and each time he says, no, I don't know him. No, I'm not with him. Don't, I'm not with him. And by, by denying that he knows Jesus and he's one of his disciples, he actually also denies the identity Jesus gave him at the beginning of his ministry because what's so fascinating, this passage talks about the rock. Jesus renamed Peter Cephas, the rock, the rock in which I would, he would build his um, kingdom upon. So Peter knows firsthand, he is saying this in love, and I'm saying this in love to you, that please do not deny Jesus. When suffering, when crisis comes, when trials come, you're going to be tempted to say, Jesus, where are you? I'm not chosen because you're, you're allowing someone I love to suffer. You're allowing this world to suffer. He's calling them not to make the same mistake he did. Because Peter knows that to disown Jesus and his identity is to disown ourselves and our identity. And to disown our identity is to disown the one who died to give us that identity. But hear me when I say this, like this is not like, you hear this word and you're like, okay, but how, I've, I've believed certain things to be true my whole life and you're telling me I just need to start believing this to be true? This is hard. It is hard to believe the truths that are on this paper, that the truths that the word says about you and about Jesus. Because there are many voices around the world, maybe here among you, maybe whatever it may be, that tells you otherwise. Social media, first of all, social media, the media in general, uh, experiences you've had as a child or even have recently had that tell you otherwise, words from loved ones growing up, words from people you admired that said things probably intentionally, some unintentionally, that just shaped your identity and shaped your beliefs. You know, I'm a woman, and 
in a, in a world where leadership, particularly in the, in the church world, leadership has dom been do mostly dominated by males. And I, I say all that to say it's like, as I enter in, I realize I've had certain insecurities about running, doing this particular position, but also just taking on leadership in the church. And I've wondered, like, why is that? Is it just because that's me? I just always feel insecure, but I, I see things around me with women happening around me. And when women read this passage, we're like, thank you. They were like, so, like, God, thank you that you say this about me when I don't feel that way anywhere. Because throughout time, women have been disadvantaged in many different ways. But if Jesus says that we are all called to be in this priesthood, that we all have a purpose, and guess what? The majority of the church is women, and if women don't walk in their identity, then the church and the world is missing out. And so I had to ask myself, like, if I don't walk in the worth and identity of knowing who I am, who am I supposed to reach and love out there that's never going to receive that because I'm too insecure, I'm not confident? Even this sermon, like, who, you know, there, there's probably, hopefully, this is going to speak to some of you, but, like, I, if I stayed in the part where, like, I'm not a good preacher, only this person is. I'm not a good teacher, only this person is. I, you know, I just remember when Jesus really met me, and I'll talk about it later, and spoke to my identity immediately, not knowing how to do anything. I'm like, I got to go tell other people about this. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like the Samaritan woman. Like, I don't know who he is, but maybe you, maybe you can know your worth too. And so I started different small groups. I started different women's, women's groups. And everything I've done has been out of an expression of like, I was once in darkness and now I'm in light. So maybe you can be too. And sometimes I'll stumble upon my words and sometimes I will have no answers to your questions but I know the one who does, and so let's talk with him together. So there have been beliefs that I have that you have that have just developed over time, and so to, to, to change those beliefs takes work. It takes work. It takes being in Scripture, prayer, confession to people, getting around each other, helping each other. Sometimes it takes professional help. Like, that's okay. Let's, let's just normalize that. It's okay to talk to someone who can help you process things in your life. But... Far too often, I think we're trying to change our actions, saying like, okay, I need to stop saying this about myself, or I need to stop doing this. But we need to get to the core of the belief. So there is this great uh, book um, by Jen Sincero. Um, she's in like the self-help, personal development world, which I think we can learn a lot from. Um, and I remember when I first started reading this book, so I left my, I, when I went back home to the Cayman Islands after graduating, I went to work in accounting and, uh, which was hard because I think when you come from a high ministry context and you just meet Jesus, you're like, I just want to get my life. And you're like, this is an accounting job. You're like, ugh. But I'm so glad he did because, first of all, thank God for accountants. That's all I'm going to say. It's like Jesus is in all be all. Do not discredit the calling he has for you. Do not discredit it because you're going to be missing out on him. So I'm grateful for four years of doing that. But I felt like this stir because uh, I'll talk about this later in my story, but um, I struggled a long, long time with uh, hating my body, which some of us do, we've all experienced, and it showed up in different ways. And I felt like Jesus healed me, like fully healed me in some of those areas. And so what did I do? What I always do, I'm like, I think I need to help others here. I don't know how to do it. And um, I felt like I should start my own business and leave my very secure accounting job. And I'm like, all right, Lord, you do your thing, you provide Jehovah Jireh. 
Uh, and in the Cayman Islands, that is highest standard of living in the Caribbean. Okay, we can do this. Uh, but during that time, Jesus really challenged my belief about money. Even as an accountant, I see money all the time, but he challenged my belief on whether or not I truly believe he would provide. It's very easy to say God is our provider when we actually have the provision. It's very hard to say God is your provider when you have $30 in your bank account. It's very hard. <laughs> uh, which happened to me. I had $30 in my bank account. I'm like, I gotta buy groceries. And so, but he, he challenged me. He's like, you're gonna do everything. He's like, you gotta deal with this, Brianna. You gotta deal with this now. Um, and I read a lot of different books. I, I, both, you know, just non-Christian, both Christian books. And I landed upon this one. And this one just talks about when it comes to belief or mindset, first of all, the name I remember when I first got the book, I like took off the cover. I'm like, I don't want people to see what this name is, this book is called. Um, it's called You Are a Bad at Making Money. <laughs> so I was like, I can't let anyone from my church see this. <laughs> um, but it's such a great book. It's such a great book. So anyways, but she just really challenged me on like, you know, with the reflection questions. And so the first at the foundation is our beliefs. And our beliefs then inform what we think. And then our thoughts then inform what we say, our words. And then our words dictate how we feel and then how we act and our reality. So beliefs, thoughts, words, emotions, actions, reality. And if we're honest, whenever we want to make any change in our life, especially like especially the health coaching clients I have, it's just we all want to start with actions. Just tell me what to eat. I just got to change what I eat, then I'm going to feel energetic, lose the weight, manage my cravings. But I'll do a lot of deep work with them, just like how I had to do with myself. I'm like, well, do you actually believe that eating healthy is going to be fun? Which it's okay if you don't, guys. We can rewrite that belief. It's fun. I have fun all the time. Um, do you actually believe that you're able to change? Do you actually believe that this is better for you? Do you actually love your body? Do you actually, be, like, challenging. And like, we come up every single time where it's like, no, I don't. And so if we're following this foundation, we're trying to change our actions, what we say and all that, but we're not changing our belief. So going back to money, Jesus was like, you do not believe that I'm your Jehovah Jireh. You do not. And what are you going to do to change that? And it always came to a point of complete surrender where I said, all right, God, you're going to provide. I got to trust you. Because I'm an achiever on the Enneagram. Usually I work to get things. I want to achieve. I want to accomplish. I'm like, I can do this and all these things. And he's like, you need to stop achieving and enter my rest because you're running around a little crazy. And that particular time I had $30 in the bank account. I just remember, all right, okay, Lord. And out of nowhere, these two friends who we had not told anything, literally gives us a $500 gift certificate to a grocery store out of nowhere. Because at that point, I'm like, I don't want to buy anything but groceries. And that, I just sat there and I said, you are my Jehovah Jireh. You are my provider. And you, and really, I need to believe it in your word when you say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I need to believe that, you know, you take care of the sparrows, you take care of the fields, so you're going to take care of me. I need to not just read these verses when I'm feeling down or discouraged, but like anchor myself on these verses. Because far too often do we come to scripture and we just like read it to feel good. Like, I'm just feeling down today. I just need a, I need a word. 
but what is it like to enter into that scripture and like proclaim it to be true? Because as a man thinketh, so is he. What you say comes to life as, the, you know, as we talk about these pillars. You know, there have been things that have been spoken over you and that you have come to believe, things that you just, different things that have happened. I'm not trying to, like, let's not put any shame because we believe certain things. It's just, the hap- it just happens. We have a, an enemy at work to, that's roaring around like a, like a lion trying to devour us. So we just need to know, like, no, we need to, that's what I used to believe and I can change what I believe. I no longer need to have a fixed way of thinking. And you need to know that even though you might have felt rejected or, or you might also feel similar things that I did, that you're not enough, that you'll never be enough, you'll never overcome, that Peter makes a connection here for us that Jesus also was rejected by men, but he was chosen by God. And that needs to matter more to you than being chosen by anyone in this room and beyond. And if we're honest, sometimes it doesn't. We, we think we care what certain people think, and that's normal, but we cannot do that at the detriment of caring more about that than caring more about what God says about us. But just like the church in Asia, as we come to him, as we become like him, we may, feel re- we may be rejected by people. I'm just going to say, like, I'm not saying come and rewrite your beliefs and then because you say, like, I have, I am a, there's abundance, there's free-flowing, like all this sort of stuff, you might still have only $30 in your bank account, right? You're not going to always change the reality, but how you perceive your reality and how you interact with Christ and others will be different. Because what you believe impacts how you live and how you see reality, and what you believe impacts your ministry as well. So speaking of belief, let's talk a little bit about another example of um, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Has anyone heard of her? Yes. So, Jeremy, yes. So good. Like she is, I'm going to tell you what she is. I'm going to get her title right. She's a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist. That's a lot of big words for us, but that's what she does. And she has spent her, she's a believer, which I think is amazing to be in the science field talking about this and know Jesus and very clearly in her books. I read some of her reviews on Amazon. People were like, I didn't know this was about Jesus and the stuff. And she, hey, go Caroline Leaf, go preach the word. Um, and people are like, oh, you know, so um, since the 1980s, when she first started, she's from South Africa and she studied in South Africa, but um, she did some studies here too. Uh, she was in the, you know, she interacted with doctors who believe that the brain is fixed. That if something happens to the brain, if you're b- born with a brain ab- abnormality, you get an accident, all this stuff, you have learning issues that it can't change. And so many of these doctors approached caring for their patients from a place of compensation. Let's just compensate, let them help, you know, try to help them as best as we can. But she believed when she read Romans 12, like, okay, be transformed by the renewing of your mind this restoration, she just couldn't bring those two together. So she started doing a lot of work with her patients around thoughts and the mind and the brain. And what she ended up finding was that after doing this work of really helping her patients think differently, believe differently, speak differently, she, she had patients who autistic children cope in academic and so- social environments. She had children with dyslexia learn to read and write and help their parents pass exams senior citizens in their 80s, changing their careers and obtaining degrees. Hey, man, we got a whole life. We got a whole life, right? Car accident victims who had been written off by neurologists as vegetables retrain their brains and enter into school at a college level. 
So she was very clearly like, she's like, you know, the, the Holy Spirit can do anything. God can do anything. But there is actually a physiological, scientific, biological thing that happens in our brains. And what she found and many doctors found is that our brains are actually neuroplastic, meaning that they're malleable. They can change. Um, they can be restored. And so she spent her life doing that. She says in her book, Switch on Your Brain, we are not victims of our biology or circumstances. How we react to the events and circumstances of our life have a huge impact on our mental and physical health. As we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. New thought networks grow, and this is a process they would call neurogenesis. Every day, we have new cells, new baby nerves that form, and we actually get to choose that morning how are we going to use those thoughts and cells. You ever had someone tell you, like, just sleep on it? Like, don't, don't make a decision at 9 o'clock at night, sleep on it, and then make the decision in the morning. Really, because what happens is you have new cells, you have new thoughts that you can kind of gear towards it. And I've had all the time, like uh, at night sometimes, tell me my husband, I'll be like, you know, oh, the world, the world is ending, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, go to sleep, go to sleep. I'm like, the world is great, like God is so good, you know. So, but, that it's, but it's not just like, oh, I slept. It's literally this, is that in the morning, I have these new baby nerves, baby cells going around, and I have the opportunity to choose differently. And she talks about, you know, mentions Deuteronomy 30, 19 that says, I have put before you life or death, choose life. That we literally have the power to change the way we think about things. So she, she would actually say, Dr. Leaf would say, our mind is one of the most powerful things in the universe after God. It dictates our choices that will either lead us to being more like Jesus or being more like the world. And that by detoxing our brain from these untrue beliefs and toxic thoughts, we will better be able to choose this beautiful identity God has given us and choose life for us and this world. And, you know, this is not just something, you know, Caroline Leaf talks about or Scripture talks about. The self-help world is talking about this. Anyone self-help junkies? It's okay. I am. No? Yes. Oh, one or two. Uh, chicken Soup for the Soul. You guys have read Chicken Soup for the Soul. Yeah, so that's a self-help book. It's okay. Uh, but, you know, a lot of books are coming out. And in, this, in the era when I was really uh, studying, uh, you know, doing my business and stuff, I just, I had to ante myself up. I'm going to be like, you got to go out there. You got to ask people if they want to work with you. And then some days you're like, no one's ever going to work with me. I'm like, you got to go out there. You got to ask someone they're going to work with you. So I read a lot of these books, you know, um, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. It's good. It talks about the lies women believe. Girl, Stop Apologizing by Rachel Hollis. Talks about pursuing your purpose. Do It Scared by Ruth Sukup about fear. Really great stuff of knowing how you handle fear. Brene Brown on shame and enoughness. So I love personal development books. I just think they have a lot to say. But I will say that these self-help books, personal development books, are not, if, when you use those in isolation and you don't use the word of God, it is shaky ground. Because as much, some of these authors are Christians too. And sometimes I'm just waiting for them in the book. I'm like, talk about Jesus, just talk about him, you know? But they don't. 
But we, just like we sung today, our hope must be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Please do not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. So when darkness seems to hide his face, please rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, let your anchor hold within the veil. Because the identity and beliefs that anyone speaks over us, ourselves and others, is shaky ground unless it's built on Jesus. Matthew 7 Matthew 7 talks about this, is he who builds his house on sand, when a hurricane comes, Dorian or whichever one that comes, your spiritual house, if it's built on sand, the rain will come down, the, the streams will rise, and the winds will blow and beat your house down. But if you build yourself on the rock, the stone, the living stone, the cornerstone, when the rain comes down, the streams will rise and the winds will blow and beat against your house, but it will not fall because its foundation is on Jesus Christ. And you know, it talks about building houses, this talks about building temples. You know, and there's two different buildings happening as we talked about, so which one are we gonna build our life upon? The world is building something and God is building something, but both with very different foundations. The question is which building, which foundation are you gonna be a part of? I'll call up the worship team. So I kind of just want to end with my, with, with my story a little bit about, I guess, my identity crisis. It sounds weird at 30 years old to be like, I had an identity crisis. We all have them from time to time. But um, speaking of hurricanes, uh, one of the major identity crises in my life, life happened as a result of a hurricane. So I'm from the Cayman Islands in the Caribbean, where hurricanes hit often in the Caribbean. Um, and in 2004, when I was in ninth grade, uh, I just had started on the journey of eating healthier. I kind of always been a little um, overweight, but it wasn't a really big concern for me, but I had just been on that journey. And a Category 5 hurricane, Category 5, hit. My parents decided us to take us to Florida, you know, um, to run away from the storm. But I remember being there and just wondering how my family was. Are they alive? Uh, what's going on? And I remember us returning back to Cayman, and our house was, thank the Lord, it was not washed away like most people's houses. It was just a lot of mold in it, so we just had to replace everything. Um, we were living in my grandparents' house. My best friends had moved away. We were going to school in a new location. And with all these changes, I felt so helpless and so alone. So I didn't know what, how to deal with any of this change. I, I wanted to control something. Like, how do, I, how do I deal with this pain, this suffering, this? So what I did is I controlled what I ate and how much I exercised and how well I did in school. I found myself eating less and less and exercising more and more. Um, at one point, my daily calorie intake was probably 800, 800 to 1,000 calories, which is not what anyone as an adult or a teenager should be eating. I probably burned at least half of that during... Tybo, running, sports, all those things. And I was at the lowest weight I had ever been. And I knew something was wrong when I looked in the mirror and I rejoiced because my ribs showed, because I was that small. And while at the same time, I was, you know, being affirmed a little bit in how much weight loss I had, people were saying, you look great. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe I find my identity in being small. And achievement, I said, well, people affirm me when I get good grades, I might as well keep going. So I started to find my identity in how I looked and how well I performed. 
And as an achiever, that was a hard place. I kept allowing my identity to be defined by things that actually destroyed me. But you know, I went too far and everyone noticed because suddenly people are saying, you look great to you're too thin. And I just remember being like, can I make you happy at all? One minute I look great and the next minute I don't. Um, but I remember, I'm so grateful that I have people in my life that see things when I don't see it. I remember my teachers, my parents saying like, you, you gotta do something. So a nutritionist was visiting our school and one of my teachers said like, you should talk to her. And I remember talking to her and just crying. And I did not expect that. Because I realized that I had actually lost my soul trying to gain the whole world. She, rec- she recommended I speak to a child psychologist, but I wasn't ready because I actually was comfortable in that broken identity still. So I said, let me just gain a little weight, make everyone happy, and we'll be fine. So I did. But that's sadly not where the end of the story is. It's really just where it begins because, because I didn't deal with the root issues of identity, expectations, and worth. Later on my senior year, when I was up to be valedictorian, I felt the pressure, and instead of attempting to control, I just let it all go. I gained back all the weight, like 60 to 70 pounds. I gained, but with that, I gained a lot of shame, gained a lot of feelings of guilt and worthlessness. I tried to fix my actions and try to just get it, and I prayed to God, said, God, help me. Give me self-control. And that's actually how I entered into the University of Tampa 10 years ago, um, well, 12 years ago. And I just remember asking God, like, please just, just, just help me. Um, and that's when I met InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And around, around 10, 10 years ago, around Labor Day. And I just re- remember feeling so loved by them. I remember looking at Jesus in a new way and going to Sunburst, which is now Meta, uh, which is InterVarsity, statewide InterVarsity, um, their conference. And the theme was on God's love. I think at that time they went through four different themes. And I don't remember what someone, what was said, what was done, but I just remember encountering the Spirit of God. And I remember for the first time God speaking a word of identity and love over me, that I literally cried almost that whole conference. I remember being in our campus small group time, like crying, like, and I think Josh and Allison were a staff and Josh was kind of like, oh, like, you know, I mean, I was like bawling, no one could talk or anything. And I just remember then talking with Allison and just confessing to her, like, listen, this is what I struggle with. And for the first time, in that, that, that process, feeling like it's okay to struggle with this, but that doesn't change your identity in who God says you are. It was at this conference, I didn't just give Jesus, you know, my eternal life. I gave him my heart, lordship, my identity, and my purpose. And from that day on, I wanted to make sure everyone did the same. And that I would do the same. So from that day on, I mean, I just was like literally I know this truth, so women, you need to know this truth. International students, you need to know this truth. Business students, you need to know this truth. K-Man, going back home and said, K-Manians, I don't want you to have to go to the United States to hear about this truth. I'm gonna bring it to you. And then women who struggle with their health as well and their body in this 
evil thing that the enemy has set up against women, I say, no, I don't want you to struggle. I will do, I will give my life so that you know your identity in Jesus Christ. So, Underground, I think, I think I'm calling you today to choose Jesus, to choose his identity and purpose for you. But I don't think this just applies to, I don't think you as individuals, because this passage is actually spoken to a collective. It's spoken to a community. You can't, there can't be one priest in a priesthood. And I think if we don't, as individuals know this word, but as a collective to know this word, where, where will the church be? Where will the people that you want to reach be? The church is this force in the world that's supposed to be a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And if we can't be that, if we won't be that, we'll just find the world just continuing to crumble and fall. When we fail to walk in our identity, we won't declare God's praises, we won't offer spiritual sacrifices, we won't walk in authority, we won't be holy, set-apart people. But when we believe it, we, ch- we, will, we will walk in that full identity. We will be chosen people, living stones, a holy and royal priesthood. The people who proclaim the one who brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. And so for the rest of my life, I want to always remember my story of Jesus redeeming me, of healing me. And even every time I say it, it's vulnerable. And I go back and I think and I remember, I could like see myself looking at myself in that broken dark estate and I don't ever want to forget it I don't ever want to because it reminds me of who I once was and who I am now and the the grace of God and the mercy of God redeeming me from then to now and then say man maybe maybe this is for other people too maybe there are other women out there other men out there that are just wanting to know that Jesus sees them that he doesn't reject them that he chooses them that he makes them set apart people and that when suffering comes and there are times that are going to challenge us to believe this to be true we can clearly proclaim that I am chosen I am who you say I am I am one filled with the love of God and the spirit of God I am the one that has received mercy I am the one that who has received grace and other people can too. So today I want us to do a couple things. I want us to, I want you to pick one of these truths in this passage, one of these identity markers that you doubt to believe to be true. And we're going to do two things. We're actually going to pray in pairs where you are going to pray that over yourself and then someone's going to pray it over you. Because people can say what they, you can hear your best friend or your mom say like, you're beautiful, all this, but until you proclaim it, until it comes out of your words and your mouth, it's, it's gonna be hard to believe. So get, we're gonna get in pairs and do that. Then afterwards, we're gonna do communion and then we're gonna worship. We're gonna do a song um, at the end called Who you, Says I, Who you Say I Am. And I want you to proclaim that truth in that song. Because when you proclaim the truth and the word of God over yourself, over the people you know, darkness has to flee it has to go so do that right now um just take five minutes to just get with someone in your who you just met with in your bible study just two people and just say this is the part that i struggle with and i'm going to pray it over myself and you're going to pray it over me and then do that with one another and then we'll take communion